G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au we were off a little fishing village of St. Ives and we ran into a Force 9 gale. And the guy who owned the boat, he used to read a little Gideon's Bible every morning and the boat was pitching around and waves were sloshing on us. But he never failed to do it. And I thought, Eric, what bizarre behaviour. But after you had a little dice with death in a Force 9 gale in front of a Cornish cliff, it kind of recalibrates your thinking. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Dr. Nick Hawks has lived a rich and full life. He was born in Adelaide and went on to receive degrees in both science and theology. He's written several books defending the Christian faith and has also written several novels. His radio spots are heard on stations throughout Australia, and currently, I'm sad to say, he's in the fight of his life battling cancer. He joins us today from his home in Adelaide to share his remarkable story. Dr. Nick Hawks, welcome to the program. It's lovely to be speaking with you, Eric. Glad to have you with us, and you have had quite a remarkable life, and we're going to try to cover all of it. Let's get right to it. Let's go back to the beginning in 1953 in Adelaide. Well, that's where the story began. Yes, I was born in Adelaide. I was one of twin boys. Mm -hmm. Um, My brother, Tim, uh, Dr. Tim Hawkes now, he went into education. He was the uh, headmaster, just recently retired, of the King's School, Parramatta. Mm-hmm. had a very distinguished career mm-hmm. in education and particularly writing about boys' education. And so I've had the privilege of going through life with a twin brother. Uh, and I have to say, that's one of the greatest gifts given to me, um, mm. particularly as he and I came to face within three days of each other. So how oh, is that right? That? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Uh, my, my father was uh, an Anglican priest, and uh, he joined the Australian Army as a chaplain because they were short of chaplains. Mm-hmm. And we lived in, in odd corners of Australia and then shot across to Malaya during the Indonesian concentration there in the uh, early 60s. And whilst he was there, he swapped over to the British Army. So we then got parked in an English boarding school uh, in England, which was an absolute shock to two wild Australian twins 12-year-old twins who suddenly found themselves in an ancient English boarding school. It was an extraordinary culture shock. Yeah. (laughs) What was the hardest part of it? Uh, Well, they had long trousers, ties, um, uh, lace-up shoes, and prefects, and all sorts of rules which were totally bewildering to to Australians who had run slightly wild in Malaya. But uh, we pretty soon learnt the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. And of course... The fact that there were two of us uh, was a, a distinct advantage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could support uh, each other. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so if somebody uh, said about bullying one of us because we were odd people from overseas, then they had to contend with two. <laughs> and, um, and as we were very physical in those days, we just loved sport. 
mm-hmm. um, and that was a, a bit of a two-edged sword. Although we we did well in sport, it also meant that we turned all things academic into an art form of mediocrity. Let me just say, <laughs> so, we, we did, <laughs> so we were much more interested in chasing adventure and doing sport. Um, so that, that was uh, an interesting time, and mm-hmm. and uh, and of course that. That school, the King's School, Rochester, mm-hmm. was founded, believe it or not, in 604 by wow. St. Augustine. So <laughs> we're talking seriously old. Wow. And our local chapel was Rochester Cathedral. So that's where I had a, a bit of a glimpse, if you like, at institutional Christianity mm. and all the pomp and ceremony that went on in the cathedral and I have to say, I did not like it very much and, and, and sort of resented having to go to cathedral. And so I was fairly content to ignore God. I think I probably was aware that God might exist. But if he was making it difficult enough for us to get to know him, I was content to oblige and not get to know him <laughs> and concentrate on playing sport and drinking beer, which were probably the two things I, I, I was charging after. But I w- we were sabotaged. Um, I didn't even know that the school had a Christian union. That's how ignorant I was. Mm. And there was a small group that met and prayed. And I was shocked to learn that they were praying for myself and my twin brother for two years. Oh, wow. And one of the members of this group was a young physics teacher who who had just joined the, the school uh, when we were fairly senior in the school. And so our age differences weren't very great. And he was an awkward fellow. He was socially a little bit on the spectrum. Mm. But he had this incredible penchant for adventure, which endeared him to us. And he was a sailor. Mm. And my twin brother and I had learned to sail boats uh, whilst visiting our parents in North Germany. Uh, Our parents were living in odd corners of the world, and we sort of ricocheted around the place. And we'd fallen in love with sailing and actually become sailing instructors at very, a very young age. Mm-hmm. And this young physics master uh, had this little open dinghy, a little wayfarer dinghy, just mm-hmm. a little short of 16 feet long, the sort of thing you'd sail off the beach for, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a couple of hours. But he'd do stupid things in it, Eric. He would, he would sail this boat for days at a time. And uh, when we heard about it, we thought it was wonderful. So we immediately volunteered ourselves to be his crew for his next voyage. And that began an incredible adventure. Hmm. Well, tell us about that adventure. Some uh, close shaves with death? Yes. What we did is we sailed this little boat, the three of us, a little open boat, no cabin, Mm -hmm. for about two and a half weeks around the southwest coast of England. Oh, wow. That is an adventure. (laughs) Yes. That's right. You got these massive granite Cornish cliffs soaring up into the heavens and these these gales sweeping in from the Atlantic. And so we had an interesting time. And on one occasion, we were off a little fishing village of St. Ives and we ran into a Force 9 gale, capsized the boat a few times, broke a bit of gear, and we limped into this little fishing village. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the guy who owned the boat, a young physics master. He used to read a little Gideon's Bible every morning, and the boat was pitching around and 
ways were sloshing on us. Hmm. But he never failed to do it. And I thought, Eric, what bizarre behavior. I mean, why would anyone be keen about Christianity? There's three things I know about Christianity. It's boring, Mm. it's irrelevant, and it's untrue. So why is this person doing it? But after you've had a little dice with death in a Force 9 gale in front of a Cornish cliff, it kind of recalibrates your thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Start to think about it a little bit more. Yeah, that's right. And so... We ran the boat up the beach, totally exhausted with all sorts of broken gear. Hmm. And when everything had settled down, I said, Tim, why on earth do you do it? And then he shared, just in a few words, the love story of the Christian gospel. Hmm. And it was a shock that God created the universe in order to share his love more widely Hmm. and has given us free will to accept our love or reject it. And we sadly have disqualified ourselves from God's holy presence by choosing a life of sinfulness. And then God comes to rescue us back. He comes personally as Jesus to die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sin, the way is open. And the beauty, Mm. the sheer beauty of that impacted me. But I was way too cool to become a Christian and, and, and decided to mm. postpone it. I lasted a week before I accepted Christ as my Savior, yes. Well, how wonderful. Here he's a physics teacher, and usually they're not prone to romanticism, I don't think. But yet he shared the gospel with you in a very romantic type of way. That's right. And sometimes I think that happens, doesn't it? it, it, mm. it and on those occasions in our life where the reset button is pushed, hmm. you know, where, where we change location or we change schools or we change jobs or a child is born, or in my case, um, you know, when you just survived a Force 9 gale, yeah, yeah. Uh, it pushes you out of sort of the, the lazy comfort zone of thinking that you've hmm. been in and it enables new possibilities, yes, uh, and, and new thinking. And um, and that's certainly what happened to my brother and myself. It happened actually at the end of the voyage, and and rather sneakily, uh, Tim Millwood, the physics master, had organised for my brother and myself to stay on as sailing instructors at a Christian sailing camp. <laughs> um, and of course, we had to listen to the gospel in the morning sessions before mm-hmm. we took you know people out and taught them to sail in the afternoon. And uh, which was pretty sneaky of him, wasn't it? It, it meant that we got <laughs> a little bit of discipling. Yeah. And it was right by, uh, it was a little town called Limington, which was by the New Forest. And I went for a walk through the forest and just quietly committed my life to Christ and then told mm. my twin brother, who told me that I had taken my time because he'd prayed the same prayer three days earlier. Our guest today is Dr. Nick Hawks, who's sharing his rich and full life story. As we just heard, he and his brother Tim just became Christians in England. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we'll find out how both of them mature in their faith while doing ministry work in an infamous slum in Hong Kong. All that and more when we return, right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. 
If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Nick Hawks from Adelaide. Before the break, we heard how he and his brother Tim became Christians in England. Now we're going to find out what happened next in their lives, including some adventures they had in an infamous slum in Hong Kong. My twin brother Tim went up to Durham University. I had to repeat my final year of school. I I was, uh, in those days, no academic But I went back uh, as the head boy. I was simply called the head of school, so it was a terrifying title. Oh, wow. But essentially, I I was responsible for all the discipline and the running of the school with a prefect's room. Wow. And and I had to to do that as a Christian, and Mm. I was very conscious that I was highly visible. And so I was saying, Mm. Lord, how do I do this? Yeah. And at the end of the year, I, I knew that something was missing from my life and my twin brother came down from Durham and and slept on the floor beside me uh, before he caught the plane to fly to Hong Kong where our parents were (laughs) and uh, we we, we talked about it late into the night as brothers do Mm -hmm. and said Tim now there's something missing because we're not I'm not seeing the stuff in the New Testament that, that I read happening in our lives. So we prayed together uh, about two o'clock in the morning. And then next morning, Tim got on the train to go to the airport and he sat next to a lady and discovered that she was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, our church is praying for someone in Hong Kong. Her name is Jackie Pullinger. She's working in the Kowloon Wall City, the gangbangs mm-hmm. of Kowloon. And we're praying for her. And so Tim took her name down, put it on a piece of paper, put it in his jacket pocket and forgot all about it. Until a week later, and we were attending my father's church, which was incredibly boring. Hmm. But we spoke to a young Christian officer and Tim found the piece of paper. And he said, you don't happen to know a lady called Jackie Pullinger? Oh, yes. He said, come and meet her. There's a Christian meeting at Island School, halfway up Victoria Peak. Mm-hmm. So I joined them by this stage. And so off we went. And we came to this house, the deputy headmaster's house at uh, Island School. And there were people everywhere, Eric, of every, every denomination you could possibly think mm-hmm. of, laughing, praying together, singing and I'd never seen anything like it. Hmm. And I walked in with my brother, and there was this pretty young woman by the door. And she looked at us, and she said, I've been praying for you too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you can imagine it, Eric. I said, what on earth? I've never met this woman before. Yeah. And, and she said, and she, oh, I'm so sorry. May I introduce myself? My name's Jackie Pullinger. So you can see how God had led us wow. to, to meet with Jackie. Yeah. And Jackie said, look, I'm taking some of the brothers off to a summer camp. And I prayed for two young men, Christians, who would go there and, and give some structure. 
And what she omitted to say was that the, by brothers, she meant members of the 14K Triad Society. <laughs> oh. And, and we were going off to Lummer Island and camping there for a fortnight. Um, and that began an extraordinary journey where I saw firsthand two things. I saw the power of sacrificial love, mm. and I saw the outworking of the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit. Mm. And that was what was missing from my yeah. life. Yeah. And, and so that, that was a terrific answer to that prayer. Prayed you know, a few weeks mm. earlier in England in that little attic bedroom of mine <laughs> yeah. with a twin brother. Wow. So there it is. Wonderful how God worked that all out. Let's just kind of pause your story to focus a little bit on Jackie Pollinger. She, of course, went on to author the book Chasing the Dragon, which is kind of a Christian classic. Is that right? That is absolutely right, yes. She played the flute and mm. in one of England's top orchestras. Uh, is that right? God oh, okay. led her to mission work. She just fell in love with with God mm. and, and mission work. And God led, she basically bought a ticket on a boat and waited for God to tell her when to get off, uh, wow. which is an extraordinary faith journey, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the shadow of Abraham really falling over her, a similar sort of faith journey. And so she got off at Hong Kong, and there was an extraordinary area called the Walled City, or the City of Darkness, mm. which was just behind the old Kai Tak Airport on Kowloon. Mm. And it was left out of the lease when the land was leased to the British government by by China. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when the communists took over China, they said, well, that little bit in the middle of your western city belongs to us. And the British government said, don't you go near it. And then the Chinese said to the British government, well, don't you go near it. And so the Thai society says, don't worry, we'll look after it. <laughs> mm. And so it became a hellhole of the Far East. And it'd be, you know, about 40,000 people were squeezed into this third of a square mile with only one water standpipe in the middle wow. and a whole lot of pirated water and electricity from around the edge. And it basically became the place for sexual exploitation, uh, drugs, heroin, uh, which mm. is where the, the title Chasing the Dragon comes from. It, it's, it, mm. that's, that's the term for smoking heroin. Mm. And every, every form of abuse, but also a curious, warm, tight-knit community as well. It was an odd place. And this is where tumbles. the Lord led her? And that's where the Lord led her. Wow. And it took her five years before the locals accepted her. Mm. It made life hell for her. Uh, and eventually she came under the protection of the Goggle, who was the, that means my big brother, mm -hmm. who, who ran the 14K Triad Society in that area, because he, he could see that she was good for his people who were on heroin, because she used to pray them off heroin. Mm. And Tim and I joined Jackie at yeah. a crucial moment w when she had that acceptance from the Triads. And her ministry took off in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we were there at a very seminal time. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was just an, a privilege. I mean, we spent most of that time walking around with our mouths open, just amazed at what we were seeing 
Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is basically a very dangerous slum. And here she's a single woman doing ministry there. And then now you two young men are there too. Weren't you afraid? Uh, she was not afraid. She was absolutely fearless. And uh, wow. there was also you know, a, a team. She had a, a, a little team of supporters mm-hmm. by that stage who shared the work. Uh, Tim and I uh, were not, not there full time. We were living with our parents. We were living on the 12th floor of a high-rise sort of luxury apartment at wow. Repulse Bay on, on, on the Hong Kong side. And so we'd see this extraordinary privileged life. Yeah, yeah. And then we'd journey in the evening to the walled city and, and see this dreadful wretchedness and, 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 and crying need. And so we're living this extraordinary schizophrenic life. Where we yeah, saw, quite a uh, contrast. Yeah, absolutely. And we had to sort of make sense of that. Mm-hmm. And Tim and I talked about that, and, and, and we decided we felt very much more at home in the alley tunnels of the walled city than we did with the overprivileged um, Pim's drinking. Was <laughs> oh, that right? Well, what was the most memorable experience of your time there? I think probably the time of my baptism. Mm. I was baptized on the beach of a little island off uh, Hong Kong with my friend Arming, who was a red pole, which meant that he was a fight fixer for the 14K Triad Society. And he'd, he'd come on the camp at Lamar Island in order to prepare a reprisal fight against another triad gang. So he was really looking forward to, to having his key fighters around him planning this, this fight. But God got hold of him and he became mm. a Christian. And so I was baptized with a twin brother, Arming, a red pole fight fixer, and a couple of ex-prostitutes wow. on the beach. And that was extraordinary. Mm. And both Tim and I had been through a bit of a baptism of fire. The tribes had pretended to kidnap me and they'd grabbed hold of me and they'd rushed me into this little hut, making sure that Tim saw what they were doing from about 150 meters away. And they pretended to beat me up, and about 10 of them there sitting on top of me. And, and uh, Tim, at that stage, was playing a fallback for Durham University, and it's superbly fit. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim said, called out and said, Nicky, you okay? And, and if you're not okay, I'm coming in. Well, my, my, my Chinese thought that he just tried to push the door open, but that was not to be. He hit the door at around about 22 miles an hour, oh. and the door came straight off the hinges. Wow. Four startled Chinese flying through the air on the beach. And at that stage, I actually had to protect them from a very fierce twin brother. So they, they pull these sorts of tricks on us uh, every now and again. Now, now and, why were they doing this? Was this just a practical job? Oh, they wanted, they wanted to... You see, Tim and I were responsible for bringing a degree of order in the day. So we used to get mm-hmm. up in the morning and help yeah. them do exercise and, and all the rest of it. And so they were... They were of course, the Triad Society is, is, is very hierarchical and very tightly knit. And there's, there's, it, the best side of the Triads has, has a lot of honor in it. Mm. And I wanted to see whether a similar sort of thing operated amongst Christians and, and amongst my brother and myself. Mm. And so we were put on trial, essentially. Oh, okay. and so it was a test. What was their honor? Was there, would Tim come to the rescue? Oh, and, I see. And, and all this sort of stuff. And... And um, 
they continually pull these tricks on us just to test us. And mm-hmm. my time came very soon after. And uh, one of the best street fighters challenged me to a fight. And wow. <laughs> I, what would you do, Eric? I yeah. mean, you're a Christian. And, yeah, and right. That's, that's not public. what you're there for. <laughs> exactly. And so I said, no, um, a play fight then. And of course, it's, it's very hard to do a play fight. And I'm thinking, Lord, help. What do I do? So I said, oh, well, okay. And anyway, this guy was as fast as anything. And I pretended to be a slow, lumbering, stupid Westerner. But I was all the time thinking, one of these, any moment, he's going to make a mistake. Well, he did. He gave me a brief bear hug from behind. And so I whipped down, grabbed his legs from underneath him, and I fell backwards on top of him, hmm. and I winded him. And, of course, it's a terrible feeling being badly winded because you, you think you're going to die. <laughs> and he was in front of you know, about 30 people, and he lost a lot of face, and he realized that he'd been outwitted hmm. suddenly. Um, and so these sorts of things happened mm-hmm. all the time, and that gave, amazingly, <laughs> God's economy, it gave, it gave us... A fair bit of standing amongst the uh, the tribes who had become Christians and those who had not, but we were only there for one summer. But it was an incredible formative time, and uh, from there, I managed to do well enough to study for an honours degree back in England at Portsmouth Polytechnic, which had a a marine biology station, and I always (laughs) wanted to be. a marine biologist. I'm still waiting to be one, by the way. (laughs) And the story continued from there. Well, that's part one of our conversation with Dr. Nick Hawks telling us about his rich and full life. We're going to hear more about his life, including how he goes on to receive degrees in both science and theology. We'll hear more about that next time. Also about how he's written several books, some defending the Christian faith and others are novels. So that's all coming up next time. Meanwhile, if you want to learn more about Dr. Nick Hawks and maybe listen to some of his radio programs, you can go to his website. It's nickhawks.net. And we should say that Hawks is with an E. So that's Nick Hawks, H-A-W-K-E-S dot net. That's Nick Hawks with an E dot net. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.